Well, it's something that we all want. Uh, certainly, we need it. Uh, but here's the, um, here's the truth of the matter. Few of us actually have it. Um, your anger, my anger, animus, angst, fear, fret, frustration, uh, whatever works best for you. Bitterness, resentfulness, uh, our discontent, our impatience, uh, they are all reminders that we don't have it. Um, our endless wrestling match with our insecurities, uh, the persistent lack of confidence uh, in ourselves, our paranoia that's undermined the quality of our life and also undermined our relationships, uh, our lingering doubts about our purpose and our place in this world, um, our ongoing struggle with hurts and hangups and habits uh, that has lingered us uh, and plagued us for years, uh, our escalating emotional turbulence that's been brought on by what's going on around us us and what's happening to us. Uh, it's left a lot of us on edge, uh, on the verge of always being offended, always being angered, always irritated, always on the precipice of exploding. And those are all reminders that we desperately need it. Uh, and then there's unwanted circumstances, and all of us, we have that. There's uncontrollable outcomes, uh, that being that you can't control what happens tomorrow, you can't control what happens an hour from now. As much as you want to try to control it, there are uncontrollable outcomes in life. Uh, we live in uncertain times, and we all have an unknown future. And all of those things come together to make us thirst for it. Um, we get so thirsty for it, we look for it, and we long for it, but we seldom ever find it. It's been called the rarest of virtues. Uh, something that everyone pursues, but very few people possess with any sense of consistency. And the thing that I'm talking about, the it, is peace. Peace. We all want it. We certainly all need it. But very few of us are able to place our hands on it and hold it for very long. Uh, for many people, peace it's been so elusive that a lot of us, we look at it as worse than implausible. We actually, when we think about peace, lasting peace, consistent peace, we think it's impossible uh, because we keep on having the same story repeat itself in my life, in your life, over and over and over again. The unrest around us causes unrest within us and we consistently get knocked off of our emotional equilibrium to our own detriment, to the detriment of other people in our lives. And so the thing that we all want and the thing that we all need, but very few of us actually have, is peace. Now, when it comes to peace, uh, the good news is the scriptures have so much to say about peace. Uh, the scriptures teach us so many wonderful truths about peace. I just wanna give you just a few as a way to get started uh, in what I wanna talk to us about today. The first thing that uh, comes to my mind, and you'll notice this when I mention it in just a moment, but one of the things that the scriptures teach us about peace is this. There is a peace that passes human understanding. There is a peace that passes human understanding. And so if you take notes, go ahead and write that down. Make a mental note of that. There is a peace that passes human understanding. Uh, those were Paul's words in Philippians chapter four. In Philippians chapter four, verse seven, Paul refers to a peace that passes human understanding. And what he's talking about is that there is a peace that is so incredible. There is a peace that is so unthinkable. There is a peace that is so illogical from a human perspective that when people see you with that type of peace, 
in light of what they know about your current set of circumstances. When people see the peace that you have in light of the facts of your life, in light of the tragedy that has happened in your life, but yet they see peace in you, it betrays their ability to be able to conceive of it in their human perception. They look at you, they look at me, and they see that peace, and they're perplexed by it. They're, they're behooved by it. They can't explain it, but here's the thing that Paul is really trying to remind us of. They want it. They can't explain it, but they want it. It's a peace that is beyond human understanding. They see you, you lose your job, but you don't lose your mind. Your world is falling apart, but you're not falling apart. You go to the doctor and the doctor gives you the absolute worst case scenario as a diagnosis. But yet there you are, steadfast, calm, collected. You don't lose your composure. And you come out and then you announce to the world what the doctor told you behind a closed door and people look at you the way you handle it, the way you bear that burden, the way you carry that weight, and they are perplexed. They don't understand how someone could get that type of news that type of prognosis, but still carry themselves with such poise and such peace. That's what he's talking about. There is a peace that passes understanding. Another thing that scripture teaches us about peace is this. There is a peace that guards our emotional and psychological health. There is a peace that guards our emotional and psychological health. Once again, back in Philippians 4, 7, Paul says, this peace that passes understanding, it guards our hearts and minds. It, it, it forms a barricade around our hearts and minds. It builds a fortress around our hearts and mind. He's talking about a peace that is so powerful. It will not allow you and it will not allow me to become a hostage to our circumstances. It will not allow us to become a hostage to the events that take place in our life. It will not allow us to become hostage to the tragedy or the calamity or the unknown or the unexpected or the uninvited. He says there is a peace that passes understanding that guards our emotional and our psychological health. It means that this peace, it allows our minds not to become so negative or so pessimistic or dwell on unhealthy thoughts to the point that it undermines our abundant life that Jesus announced that he came to give us in John chapter 10 at verse number 10. This type of peace that Paul in the scripture points us to is a type of peace that does not allow our thoughts and our emotions to prosecute or persecute us. A lot of us, we walk around and we don't need a persecutor and we don't need a prosecutor in our life because we are already that for ourselves. Our thoughts and our emotions are always persecuting us, always bringing up the worst case scenario, always imagining what could go wrong. Our thoughts are constantly dwelling on what is negative and what is faithless. Paul says, but there's a peace, there, there's a reality that can be yours and it can be mine, that doesn't allow us to become hostage to the circumstances of our life. The emotions of our life do not have to serve the events of our life. We don't have to be at the mercy of whatever we're facing or whatever we're walking through. It's actually a faith that is just not defensive in the sense that it guards our hearts and minds, but it's actually in the sense of an offensive thing 
that works for our good in our life. This peace, it actually actively works to overcome things like fear and anxiety and resentment and bitterness and shame and dread and worry. And as it does this, this is so good, as it actively overcomes those things, it allows us then to be able to have a sense of those emotions and those experiences that we all long for, like joy and contentment and anticipation for the future, excitement, happiness. This is the piece that the scriptures talk about. It allows us to experience the things that we want to experience instead of being captured and held hostage by the things that we don't want to have to feel and we don't wanna have to think about. This type of piece, it calms our minds. Now, some of us need that. We can't shut our minds off. It calms our minds, it quietens our conscience. Uh, We don't dwell on the past mistakes and the the bad moments of yesterday. It, It quietens our conscience. It puts our soul, our soul at rest. And our culture talks a lot about physical rest and that's important, but But before we can really have physical rest, there has to be a rest of the soul. And this is the type of peace that the scriptures teach us about. Another thing that the scripture teaches us about peace is this. There is a peace that is not only good for the soul, but is also, it's good for the body. Uh, Let me read a couple of scriptures for you. Proverbs 3.24, this is great. You should write this down, make a note of it, and memorize this verse. Proverbs chapter three, verse 24. When you lie down, night, middle of the day, you know, you work third shift, you come home at the beginning of the day. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Sound sleep doesn't sound spiritual, but if you go a long time without sound sleep, it is going to mess you up. Not only physically, but it will affect you spiritually. It will affect the entirety of who you are. And the scripture talks about this, about this soul rest, which then helps us to have physical rest. Listen to Psalm 4, 8. In Psalms 4, verse 8, this is one of my favorite verses in all of the Psalms. In peace, there's our word. You see it? Are you thinking about it? In peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, Lord, make me to dwell in safety. In peace, I will lie down. Don't you get a little tired of lying down every single day and every single night and you can't sleep, you can't get your mind to shut off, you can't get the turmoil that's going on deep down in your soul to be at rest? And so you toss and you turn and you toss and you turn and you toss and you turn and then you wake up the next day and you're more exhausted than the day before. There is a peace that is not only good for the soul, but it's also good for the body. It puts our mind and our soul at rest so our body can be at rest. It's a peace that insulates us from the corrosive nature of unhealthy thoughts and unhealthy emotions, so much so that our physical bodies are the beneficiary of that type of peace. Because often what's going on in our soul will manifest itself in some way through our bodies. And there is a peace that is not only good for the soul, but it's also good for the body. You see, there's a whole lot of stuff taught in the scriptures about peace. Uh, When you study peace in the scriptures, uh, you begin to understand that peace is not the absence of trouble. Uh, That's the type of peace we hope for. That's the type of peace that's pie in the sky. You know, we just want trouble to cease. We, we want there to be a ceasefire. We want hell to stop breaking loose. We want a pause. We want a, a break from it all. We want to escape it. But that's not 
the type of peace we find in the scriptures. Peace is not the absence of trouble or difficulty or tragedy or sickness or calamity or anything along those lines. Peace is something we have in the midst of all of those things. It's in the context of trouble, difficulty, tragedy, sickness, calamity that we have what the scriptures call peace. It's a peace that we have in the midst of the bad. It's, it's the peace that we have in the midst of the unwanted or the unexpected. Uh, the scriptures uh, teach us that peace is actually when the world is falling apart, but we're not. Uh, that, that's really how I would sum it up. When you read the Old Testament and the New Testament, you kind of put those definitions of peace together. Peace is when your world, the world, may be falling apart, but you're not and I'm not. That's biblical peace. That's the peace that we find all throughout the scripture. So whenever you think about peace, think about that. It's having peace in the midst of what you don't want to go through. It's having peace in the midst of what you didn't invite into your life. It's having peace in the midst of what you would change, but you have no power to change it. That's peace. It's when the world is falling apart. And when you look around some days, you can get the actual feeling that the world is falling apart. But you don't have to feel like you're falling apart. And I don't have to feel like I'm falling apart. That's not the peace that the scriptures say we can have. Peace is when the world is falling apart, but we aren't. Uh, peace in the scriptures, it's a calmness of mind. Uh, that's one of the specific definitions that we find in the scripture. It, it's a calmness of mind. It's an emotional stability. It's a tranquility of the soul. Uh, someone described it this way, and I love this. It's sitting down in one's heart. Isn't that good? It's sitting down in one's heart. You're just not running around internally. It, it's not erratic down in there. It, it's not frantic down in there. You are able to sit down in your heart. You're able to sit down with your thoughts. You're able to rest. You're able to take a load off. You're able to breathe. That's the peace that the scriptures teach us about. That's why I began today by saying it's what we all want. It's what we all need, but very few of us have. In the Old Testament, the word of peace is shalom. Every time you see shalom, it's peace. It means a goodness of life that is impervious to circumstances. A goodness of life in your soul, in your mind, in your body. A goodness of life, a goodness in your relationships, a goodness in your emotion, a goodness of life that is impervious to circumstances. Uh, peace in the scripture. <laughs> is a goodness of life that's unrelated to, uninhibited by, uninterrupted by what's happening in your life, what's happening in my life, what's happening around us. If you're like me, you can turn on the television in the evening or even in the middle of the day, and you can watch news, you, you can just listen to what's going on in the world for about five minutes, you can listen to two talking heads up there yelling at each other, neither one of them acting like they have, as you know, the old timers would say, any lick of sense whatsoever. And, and there they are, and pretty soon, you know what? You begin to feel it. It starts rising up. For some, it's angry, and you just get ticked off. You're so ticked off, you're not gonna be good for the next three hours, you just ticked. You ticked at everything. And for the next three hours, you're gonna be easily triggered. And the moment that your kid doesn't do what your kid is supposed to do, you overreact. 
because you watched five minutes of television and everybody is gonna suffer for it, including you for the next three hours. This is, this is what happens in our life. And the scripture says, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This is not the way it has to be. There's a better life than this. And it's a life of peace. It's the way of peace. The scriptures teach us that peace is deeper than our emotions and it's greater than our circumstances. You should write that down too. Uh, Peace is deeper than our emotions and it's greater than our circumstances. And we see this type of peace spoken of over and over and over and over again. But uh, here's what I really wanted to talk about. We see it taught in many different places in scripture, but the place that we see it most clearly modeled for us is in our Savior. If you're a Jesus follower, the one that you're following, your Lord, your Savior, the one who died for your sin and was buried and was raised on the third day, the one that you have trusted your eternity to, the one you've trusted your life to, he models for us this type of peace, in my opinion, better than anybody else. Because to follow Jesus is to follow in the way of Jesus. It's to adopt the way of life that Jesus lived while he was on this planet. It is to have his flow, his rhythm. And Jesus, he knew the type of peace that we've been talking about for the past 15 or so minutes. That type of peace that is impervious to circumstance, Jesus had that peace. He modeled that peace. Think about it. It's Thursday night. Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room. While Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room, the Jewish temple and the Roman empire, they are colluding to plot the death of Jesus. Backroom deals, negotiations, all to put an innocent man to death. Meanwhile, Jesus with his disciples in the upper room, he knows what's going on. He understands what is happening. More importantly, Jesus knows not only what is happening, but Jesus knows what is about to happen. He knows about the torture to come. He knows all about the cross that awaits him. He already can see the flogging. He already can see the punches that he will take in his face. He can already see the spit that's gonna run down his cheek. He already sees the crown of thorns. He already sees the nails in his hand and through his feet. He already feels the pain of Judas's betrayal and Peter's denial. He knows what's about to happen. But what is Jesus doing? He knows what's happening. He knows what is about to happen. But yet there he is in the upper room with his disciples and he is washing feet. He is demonstrating what it looks like to be selfless in a moment where it would be easy and maybe even understandable and perhaps from some perspective justifiable to be a bit self-centered. But in a moment when he could have been thinking about himself, in a moment where he could have been self-consumed and made everything about him, in a moment where he could, could have manipulated the situation, told those guys, guys, let me tell you in the most graphic detail what's about to happen, feel sorry for me, come wash my feet, let me cry on your shoulder. We, we don't see that at all. We see Jesus manning up. 
We see Jesus kneeling down and washing the feet of his disciples, demonstrating selflessness in a moment when it would have been easy to be selfish. In the upper room, it's not about him, it's about the people that he loved. The emotion is heavy, it's, it's thick. This is the last time he's gonna be able to be with them this way. He is there in the shadows of Golgotha. He knows what's happening and he knows what's about to happen and what he says to them in the midst of their interaction that evening is nothing short of staggering. Listen to what Jesus said to them in that moment in the Gospel of John, John chapter 14 at verse 27. Listen to what he says. He says, I am leaving you a gift. He's about to die, but he's thinking about giving a gift. He's thinking about what they need. Selfless. A selflessness that can only come through peace. I am giving you a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled, guys. Don't be, don't be troubled, ladies, and don't be afraid. I, I love the way the New International Version renders it. Peace I leave with you. And then listen to this. Take note of this. My peace. Jesus said, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let it be afraid. Imagine being able to say that to somebody else in a moment when you were going through what Jesus was going through and more importantly and more impressive, what he was about to go through. Guys, my peace, I'm gonna leave with you. And we know that he had peace because of what he's doing in that moment. He's thinking of others, he's serving others, he's not making about himself, he's making it about everybody else. And in that moment, in the truest sense, he was making it about you and he was making it about me. He was making it about the world because he knew what he was about to do and why he was about to do it. He says, my peace I leave with you. He's not lost his composure. This is the Jesus we need to see. This is the Jesus that we should be impressed by. This is the Jesus that we should be staggered by in the sense of we can't believe that this man could man up like this in this moment. He hasn't lost composure. He's calm. He's collected. He's there in the upper room and he's got peace. His thoughts, his emotions, they aren't undermining his well-being. He's not erratic. He's sitting down in his heart. There's a goodness of life that we see here. He's settled, he's steadfast. He's not being overcome by his circumstances. He is overcoming his circumstances through peace. You see, here's something to make note of. The peace Jesus had is the peace that you can have. The peace that Jesus knew is the peace that I can know. Whatever your life looks like right now, whatever your life feels like right now, I don't care how disheveled or how messy or how much of a disaster or what calamity, it does not matter. So you don't understand my situation and you don't understand what we've been going through and you don't understand what we just found out last night and you don't know what we've been going through for the past four months. It does not matter when it comes to peace. Peace doesn't take those things into effect. The peace that Jesus had is the peace that we can have. 
It's the ability to face the worst that life can throw at us, but yet have peace, to have an inner calm, a rest in our soul that doesn't allow us to become victims of our circumstance. I'm telling you, I'm sick and tired of being a victim to my circumstance, to what happens. Aren't you a little sick and tired of being a victim to what's going on around us? That it's determined how you felt? That it determines how you wake up? It determines your outlook? It determines how level, you know, your level of pessimism or your lack of optimism? Aren't you just sick and tired of being a victim? Being tyrannized by what's going on around you? I don't have to, Jesus says. He says it to them, and I think he says it to you as well. Listen to his words again. Peace I leave with you. My peace, guys. I'm about to face a cross. I'm about to be flogged. Do you understand the torture that's about to happen? You will. But yet I've got peace, and I'm willing to give it to you. And he says, it's not the type of peace that the world gives. He says, I do not give to you as the world gives. See, there is a cheap version of peace that the world offers. It's out there. You can get it, it's easily accessible. You can fill your life with distractions. Be so distracted, run from one thing to another, to another thing, 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 thing, where you don't even have time to think. And because you don't have time to think, you don't really have time to be upset. It's a cheap substitute for peace. You're exhausted, but hey, at least you're not thinking about what you don't wanna think about. At least you're not feeling what you're afraid to feel. It's a cheap substitute. The world offers that type of peace. Just get busy, get busy, get busy, get busy. To the point that, hey, you just don't feel anything and you don't think about anything. Fill your life with noise. Never any quietness in your life so that you don't have to feel and you don't have to think. Drink something. Take something. Watch something. Cheap substitutes for peace. Some people look for it in relationships. Some people look for it in money. Some people look for it in achievement. But it doesn't last, does it? Felt good for a moment. Is there any better feeling than going out and you've been researching that car, you've been looking for that car, you found that car, you bought that car, you signed the payments for that car, and guess what? You discovered 10 minutes later there was no worse feeling in the world than doing what you'd just done. It didn't make you feel better. You bought that house, you couldn't afford it, but you bought it because you thought inside that house, inside that master bedroom with that glorious kitchen, there's peace over there. It doesn't live where I'm living at now, it lives over there. So you bought the house, you moved in, but what? You found out it was a cheap substitute. We've all discovered the cheap substitutes for peace in life. Jesus said, listen, I'm not giving you that type of peace. I'm not giving you a cheap substitute. I'm giving you lasting, sustainable, consistent peace. So don't be afraid and don't let your heart be troubled. Listen to what Jesus says a little later to them in John 16, verse 33. He says, I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. This is where you find peace. You find peace in me. You follow me. My way is the way of peace. My rhythm is one of peace. I have told you these things so that in me, you have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. See, that's why you need peace. It's not a lack of trouble that Jesus promises. It's not an insulation for trouble that Jesus promises. Jesus said, listen, if you follow me, if you don't follow me, you're gonna have trouble. But Jesus says, if you follow me, not only will you have trouble, 
but you can have peace in the midst of the trouble. And this is what Jesus models for us. This is what Jesus offers to us. And so here's the question. What do we gotta do to get this type of peace? What kind of practical steps can we take to have this kind of peace? Well, let me give you just a couple of quick thoughts and jot these down, make note of this. The first thing is this, the peace of God, the peace of God begins with having peace with God. The peace of God begins with having peace with God. Romans 5 verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul paints the picture, the New Testament paints the picture that when we're born, we're born as enemies at war with God. We're at war with God in our soul, we're at war with God in our hearts and in our minds, but God so loved the world that he sent Jesus into the world to die for his enemies, to die for those who were at war against him. And so Jesus made peace by the blood of his cross is what Paul wrote to the church living in Colossae in what we call the book of Colossians. He made peace by the blood of his cross. And what Jesus effectively did there on the cross, he stood in the gap. He took one hand and reached it to God, took the other hand, reached it to humanity, and he brought our hands together and put it in the same grip as his, and we stopped being enemies of God. We became friends of God. We became sons and daughters of God. We became part of the family of God, living as citizens in the kingdom of God. We were forgiven. Our sins were forgotten forever, free. Didn't cost you anything, didn't cost me anything, cost Jesus everything. That's where peace begins. If, if you don't have peace with God, you will never understand the peace of God. But to have your sins forgiven, to know that your sins have been forgotten forever, free of charge to you, you know what that does? That allows you to have peace with your past. That allows you to find peace within yourself, with yourself. The peace with God is the first step of having the peace of God. See, if you don't have peace with you, and if you don't have peace with God, you're not gonna have peace. But once you have peace with God made possible through Jesus, you can have peace with your past, peace with you, peace with others, and you can know the peace of God. The second thing is this, the peace of God is the fruit of the Spirit of God. In Galatians chapter five, we're told that the Spirit of God produces within us fruit. And among that, in Galatians 5, verse 22, he says, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is this, love, joy, and peace. And he goes on to mention patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. See, peace isn't out there somewhere. The seeds of peace have been planted in you and in me. When we come to faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit of God indwells us forever, the cultivation of what the Spirit brings forth in me and what it brings forth in you, Paul says, among many things, he says, it's peace. Peace is in you. You've gotta to yield to the Holy Spirit. I've gotta to yield to the Holy Spirit in such a way that the Holy Spirit has the freedom to cultivate within me the fruit that only it can bring forth. And the peace that the Holy Spirit brings forth is the peace that Jesus spoke of in John 14, the peace that he had in the shadows of Golgotha. Peace isn't out there, it's in me. And then here's the last thing. The peace of God is found in and it flows out of 
the promises of God. This is one of my favorite verses in all of the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 26 at verse three, here's what Isaiah the prophet said. You will keep him in perfect peace. You will keep her in perfect peace, all who trust in you. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Listen to that again. You will keep in perfect peace. Listen to this promise. You, God, will keep in perfect peace all, no matter what they're facing, no matter what they're going through, all. No exceptions, no exemptions. All who trust in you. Peace isn't a matter of trying harder. It's a matter of trusting more. It's not a matter that you need to try harder, try harder, try harder, try harder. The scripture says that peace is a matter of trusting God more and more. That's what it is. Peace isn't a matter of just not thinking the wrong things. Peace is a matter of having a mind that fixes its thoughts upon God. Thinking the right thoughts, even in the most difficult of moments. That we think about who God is, that he is all knowing and all powerful and all present and all loving that God is working all things according to his own purpose and will. And God, this is who he is. He works all things for your good and my good. That God has this incredible plan for your life and my life. And even those storms and difficulties and tribulations and trials are all part of it. In the midst of all of that, God has made available peace. And so we think about who he is, that there's nothing that God can't do. He's the God of the impossible. There's nothing too difficult for him. His arm is never too short. His ears are never so deaf. His eyes are never so dim that God can't do what God knows needs to be or should be done. And so we think about him and who he is and we think about what he's done and we think about his faithfulness in our life and the faithfulness in other people's lives and faithfulness in the Old Testament saints and faithfulness to his followers in the New Testament. And we think about who he is and we refuse to stop thinking about who he is and what he's done. Because in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the calamity, in the midst of the unwanted and the unpleasant and the uncomfortable and the unknown, the only way that peace is going to become a reality is to trust, to fix your mind on Him, to believe. Because the fruit of faith, it's peace. You think about all the needs that He met and all the battles that He won. And you think about all the giants that He's taken down and all the prayers that He's answered and all the grace that He has given time and time again. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And you think about it and you keep thinking about it and you think about it some more. And then you begin to feel like everything's gonna be okay because you know why? Everything's gonna be okay. He's gonna work it all out in the end. And it may hurt now, but the sufferings of this life are not to be compared to the glory that's gonna be revealed and what's coming next. And this peace, it flows out of God's promises. So I just, I want to speak to me and I want to speak to you and I want to say to us all, when you face the problems of life, throw yourself upon the promises of God. I jotted down a few of these and put it in my journal this week. I made a note to me. I said, when you lack or when you fear a lack of provision, 
fall back on Psalms 37, 25. I, I've been old and I've been young, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor their children begging for bread. Trevor, when you fear a lack of provision, throw yourself down on Philippians 4:19, and my God will meet all of my needs according to his riches in glory. Trevor, when you've blown it, when you have the fear that you've blown it and it's not ever gonna be better, remind yourself of Romans 8, 38 and 39, that nothing's gonna separate you from the love of God. Fall upon 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's just and faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Trevor, when you feel abandoned and lonely, fall upon Psalms 27 and 10. It says, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Fall upon Hebrews 13, 5, that he will never leave me, he'll never forsake me. When I feel like less than what I ought to be, fall upon Romans 8, 37. No, I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loved me. Fall upon 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you feel love, fall upon Romans 5, fall upon Romans 8, fall upon Jeremiah that you've been loved with an everlasting love. Fall upon John 3, 16, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that he demonstrated his love for me, his love for you, that while we were sinners, he died for us. When I think my prayers are not being heard, fall upon Psalms 34, verse four. I sought the Lord. He heard me. He answered me. He delivered me from my fears. Throw yourself upon the promises of God. In the midst of a world gone crazy, in the midst of a world that seems falling apart, may people look inside the church. May people look outside at followers of Jesus and see a group of people who aren't falling apart because they have a peace, a peace that Jesus had, a peace that Jesus gives to us. Heavenly Father, would you speak to us in this moment? And if there's anybody watching right now, listening right now who lacks this peace, in the stillness of this moment, in the quietness of this moment, would we just hush our minds and our soul and our heart and invite the Holy Spirit to begin to produce that peace in our lives. May we begin to fix our minds upon God, who he is and what he's done and throw ourselves upon the promises of God. And if we will do that, I trust, I claim, I believe, I declare, peace will be mine. Peace can be yours. A peace that passes all understanding. A peace that allows us to say, no matter what's going on, it is well soul. And we pray it in Jesus' name.